Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan, where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games, but thought he was destined for a thousand. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there, and welcome back to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan. I am... Jason Padolan, your host, and you're here for episode number 42, and we're going to be speaking with Dane Jackson. Now, Dane Jackson may be not quite as recognizable as some of the names I've had on, like previous guest Jerome McGinley, but that doesn't make him any less respectable. Let's put it that way. Dane is a name that has come across my path countless times. I played against him in the AHL, remembered him with Rochester for sure. Uh, but since, you know, Jared Smithson uh, went out of his way to mention Dane as uh, as a mentor for him as, and as a role model in his interview. And Scott Nickel mentioned uh, Dane Jackson in his interview. And uh, Steve Kelly is somebody that speaks highly of, of Dane Jackson. And so this name, Dane Jackson, keep, keep coming up again and again and again. And then I found out that he was also the associate head coach for University of North Dakota, which has been on my radar lately because of the Mitchell Miller saga that has unfolded in the hockey world in the, in the past weeks. So as hockey works, one of my uh, ex-teammates by the name of Eric Healy connected Dane and I because Dane and Eric Healy played in Manchester together. And he said, you know what? talk to Dane if you want to hear something about Mitchell. So Dane agreed to uh, to speak with me. And we do talk about Mitchell a little bit towards the end of the interview. I thought it was important to ask uh, Dane what he felt, uh, like essentially a character reference for Mitchell uh, Miller. Because if you look in the mainstream media, uh, it it's tough to get that side of the story. And I think it's a really relevant side of the story. And it's something that I've spoken publicly about is that, you know, what is Mitchell like now? What are his coaches saying about him now? What are his teammates saying about him now? And, uh, and if they're saying good things about him, then, you know, I, I believe there should be some empathy for uh, what he's going through and, and that there should be a different path to redemption than uh, maybe what's happening right now. So I digress. Uh, this is about Dane Jackson, not about Mitchell Miller, and it's about celebrating Dane because Dane has been a captain almost everywhere he went. And when you have somebody that gets bestowed the honor of being a captain, usually it is for very good reason. And with Dane, it was. He was, he was a guy that brought a level of positivity to the room. He was a guy that carried himself with professionalism, and he wanted the best for his team and those around him. And it kept him in the game a long time. It, it allowed him to play 45 games in the NHL. He was a third-round draft pick of, uh, of the uh, Vancouver Canucks. And he also played over 600 games in the A uh, on his way to becoming an assistant coach under Bruce Boudreau. So Dane had the opportunity to win a Calder Cup in the A uh, with uh, Rick Tort or, or, um, with Torts in uh in Rochester, and he also had the chance to play for Pat Quinn. He mentions his time with Bruce Boudreau. So he was dotted, uh, his experience was dotted with uh, top level coaches and people that recognized him as uh, as being somebody 
who could lead men. And I think that's an amazing uh, honor to bestowed on anyone. So we have a great conversation here about leadership, about mentorship, about all of the good stuff uh, that really, I think, encapsulated and, and, you know, tells the story of Dane Jackson, which is why on the ticker I wrote uh, leadership, coaching and mentorship, because I think when most people hear the word Dane Jackson that have known him in the past, those are the words that will come out. So without further ado, I bring you an amazing conversation for coaches, for athletes and for parents alike with Dane Jackson. All right, here we are back live with Up My Hockey for episode 42, and we have Dane Jackson. And Dane, first of all, I guess I should thank you, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on. Always good to talk hockey, especially with a fellow uh, BC. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a fellow American League a plug, as you called yourself, I think, on the text message. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Funny how this thing goes, because I'll just give the listeners a back a backstory here, because some sometimes I mean, my network is big because I was a suitcase. I joke about that a lot. You know, I played played all over the place. One of the benefits was getting to meet a ton of great people, whether in the locker room or from a coaching staff perspective. You, you and I never sat in the same locker room together, but one of our uh, teammates, mutual teammates did Eric Healy and uh, and Heels has been a, a good buddy of mine and his his son's going through it now and, and the. Uh, you know, the journey to, to get to where he wants to go and, and to D1. And anyways, he connected us. So I thank, I thank uh, Heels for that. And, and here we are now having an interview like three days later. So it's pretty cool the way the, the system works these days. Yeah, he's a good man. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a good scorer boy and a good friend. Yeah, he's, uh, he could definitely do some cool things with the puck. And you would have put it in the net, that's for sure. Uh, I would like to start because this is, uh, I don't know what if you've had a chance to listen to anything uh, that Up My Hockey is about, but it's kind of about the path and it's about the journey and, and it's about each guy's way for how they get there and some of these intangibles that maybe go outside uh, of what type of a skater you are or what type of puck handler you are, you know, and so yeah. I, I like to get back into it and uh, and maybe start it in, at your days there in, in Vernon, just because, I mean, that's where I'm from, you played here. You're not that much older than me, but older than me enough that I was still that kid in the stands when I was able to watch you, you know, and and uh, and be a and be a fan in that scenario. So, can you talk about your time in in Vernon there and what that season was like? Yeah, well, actually, it was kind of an interesting lead into getting there, uh, Jay. Uh, I was really close to going to play in Seattle. Seattle uh, had their training camp right in Castlegar. I think Spokane's was down in Trail, and uh, and Seattle's was in my town, and. Uh, I was really close to going to play there and I'd actually gone and played over in Europe at a kind of a Western Canadian uh, team, I think. And we played in Czechoslovakia, it's different places. And when I came home to the Vancouver airport, uh, the guys from Seattle were there, they were going to come take me down. I still hadn't really decided if I was going to go to Vernon or go to, uh, go to Seattle. So that was a tough uh, conversation with, uh, with those guys, but um, pretty naive just thinking back about uh, going there, no promises to even make the team there and just kind of went and, and battled. Uh, I was lucky to have a couple guys from Cascar. Darcy Martini was there. and uh, But it was a great experience. Ernie Gare was our coach. And um, a lot of, we had a really good team that ended up winning the BC League. And uh, a lot of guys went on and got scholarships. Dallas Drake was probably one of our best players, another uh, BC boy there from Rossland. So Darcy and, and uh, Dallas and I would go over and travel back and forth and uh, – I think Darcy's old Nova or something like that, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really uh, great learning learning curve and 
you know, just kind of first time for me kind of getting away and, uh, in my grade 12 year to go play, uh, play for, for Mel List was our owner. And, uh, right. Yeah. So you remember, um, so back if in, were you played in Castlegar? Is that where your minor hockey was playing like the year before? Yeah. Yeah. I was born in Winnipeg and then played in Shore Park for about five years. So when I was, I was about 10 years old and then, uh, when I was 10, I came to Castlegar and, Travis Green was on the uh, same exact age as I, so Travis and I played all the way up and uh, until I was about, uh, until my grade grade 12 year, and then I left uh, Cascar. I played a couple of years in the KHL for uh, the Cascar Rebels and then went over to uh, hit the big time in the BC. Yeah, awesome. No, that's a great background there, uh, especially with Travis Green. I played with his brother in, in Penticton, um, and oh, then Travis was, was a Spokane chief too, so he left like just a few years before I was there. So definitely have connections to the Green family. And uh, yeah. another uh, was uh, Steve Junker around Castlegar. Yeah. yeah, Junks was uh, just a couple years younger than us, yeah. and, uh, so we'd always skate with them. Uh, we'd get skates in the summer, and then actually played with Steve uh, one year in, in Rochester. Actually, when we won, when we won the Calder Cup, Steve uh, kind of came and played with us a little bit as well. Oh, that's super cool. Uh, yeah, I played with Steve in, in Mannheim, and then also he was a he was a chief there as well. So we crossed paths yeah. a little bit. What? Um, how was that decision for you then? So you you leave you leave minor hockey in Castlegar, uh, obviously on on a few people's radar. If the Western League's calling, then the BCJ's calling, and he said he didn't really know what the choice was. So you weren't de- you weren't definitively labeling yourself as a college guy. You were entertaining the WHL route. Yeah, no, it was actually a bit of a battle in the Jackson household, I think. I think my dad thought it'd be better to go play major junior. And my mom uh, was pretty, you know, education-based and thought that was super important. Um, not near as much information as there is now. You know, there was no internet then. But uh, some guys that had played in Cascar before me, Jim Smith had played in uh, in Denver, and Kelly Hurd had gone to Michigan Tech. So I knew some guys, that I knew a little bit about it that way. Uh, Steve Bozak had played in Northern Michigan, so – we kind of looked up to Steve a little bit and uh, yeah, one of the Walt Kyle was a good assistant coach at Northern Michigan and kind of knew about some of us kids in Castigar because of through Bozak and had kind of done a good job of uh, explaining to me a little bit about uh, what college hockey was about and was always sending me stuff. So that's kind of, that's kind of what uh, piqued my interest uh, to go that way. And I ended up going on a recruiting ship to Northern Michigan and uh, with Dallas Drake well, Christmas time that year, and uh, they ended up offering Dallas. They didn't offer me right away, and uh, they picked the right guy, obviously. But I ended up going to North Dakota in the end. Right. So that season, you mentioned Ernie Gare, who, who it's cr- crazy how much our circles cross because he actually helped out with my Pee Wee Provincial team. He would he would come out and and, uh, and skate with us. And now his uh, his grandson is is on a team that I assistant coach uh, Shanahan. So it's uh, nice. definitely a small world when it comes to that. And and I he was you know very good coach back in his day. And obviously hockey is is in that uh, that family's blood. With uh, with your scenario there, getting into the BCJ and having Mel List and that 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 team was, you know, it was it was a good team, and I, I know that you guys won that year, and I think it was right around then when they started to be like a perennial good team, you know, like they, yeah. they were known for their for their players. Did you have any idea at all that you were going to on the NHL radar at that point, like that you would get end up getting drafted where you did? Yeah, the first time I'd ever even really heard about it at all was uh, I think kind of the. You know, I remember getting the, the hockey news or something. You get, you get the updates from there. But uh, Kerry Eads, one of the assistant coaches at North Dakota, had called me and um, he said, "Hey, you're uh, ranked 45th on the uh, NHL's, you know, scouting watch list or something like that." And he'd also kind of talked about starting to recruit me. So that was a pretty cool phone call. I remember and that was the first time I ever heard about it, and that was in December. And then uh, 
yeah, I kind of, you know, learned a little bit more about it then. And a couple teams uh, came and talked to me and interviewed me uh, along the way. And you knew that was kind of on the radar. But I think back then there wasn't, uh, I think at that time, I was the highest kid ever picked from the BC League. So it wasn't really, a lot of kids didn't get picked there. And it was definitely new to me. Like I, I had, not like it is now where it's big fanfare. Like I remember I was shooting pucks with Travis in my backyard on the day of the draft. And my mom, uh, my mom yelled, it was in Montreal, but I wasn't going to go there. And uh, my mom yelled out and said, hey, Dan, was phones for you? And I ran in there and it was, uh, I think it was Darcy Rota that had called and uh, said, hey, we just drafted you with the, uh, I don't know, I think 45th overall or whatever it was to the Vancouver Canucks. So I was pretty excited. That is wild. Yeah, super cool. <laughs> and especially being a hometown boy, well, not hometown, but home province boy, you know, and having them uh, grab you there in that spot. So that was the, uh, that was the highest at the time. That That's really wild. I'm not, I'm not certain of that, but I think so. Like, I think Jason Marshall came right after me and uh, was obviously much higher than I was. But yeah. I, I don't know. I guess it was just kind of wasn't scouted a lot. So I don't know how that happened or I wasn't the greatest player, but uh, I don't know. It was a cool experience and really, really exciting for me to get drafted by Vancouver. Did you, once you found out that you were on that watch list, did that change anything for you? Like, did you, you know, I don't know, was there any type of mental, mental difference for you in your game? Yeah, not really. I don't think, you know, I think just always been a guy that went and played and, you know, competitive guy. So I don't think it really made me play any harder or do anything any differently. It was just, uh, you know, I'd always kind of been from a small town and, you know, when we played the big teams from uh, even when we played, uh, you know, a lot of times teams in the Okanagan or the lower mainland, like we would uh, we, we would lose pretty good. You know, we just didn't have quite as many players and stuff. So, you know, when you played against those teams, you're all kind of fired up to play your best and try to show well. But a lot of times we didn't do very well. So it was I, I don't think I'd been I'd been to a couple of the, the B.C. Cup kind of camp, best ever camps, whatever they called it back in the day. Yeah. And, uh, did all right, but I was never really a, a super top guy coming up, I don't think. When, when the recruiting process started, and now maybe that helps you in doing what you're doing now, because I'm sure you're part of the recruitment process a little bit when they come when they come on site there. What was that experience like for you? How many places did you visit um, uh, before you made your decision? Yeah, I went to uh, Northern Michigan, um, and those guys did a great job. Um, and then I went to uh, Michigan Tech a little bit because Darcy Martini was, or excuse me, Kelly Hurd was already there and he kind of uh, did a good job talking about it there. And then I went, and I'd always kind of wanted to go to North Dakota. I think I had, I remember reading in my Sports Illustrated, I used to get about uh, Tony Herkus and Bob Joyce winning the national title in 87. And uh, I said, oh, that looks pretty cool. And, uh, you know, that's how I had kind of heard about North Dakota. And then I tried to, you know, ask different guys about it. And, and then when they came to recruit me, I was, uh, felt pretty, pretty honored. Is that something now I, I know people ask me, you know, how do you how do you get recognized or what's the r- right way to go about things? And people are asking about advisors and this and that. Obviously, it's a it's a business for, for the universities to find the right guy. Yeah. If, if you if you were a player now and let's say some teams were calling, but UND wasn't. Do you think it's OK to write a letter or to make pick up the phone and make a phone call? Or how, how do you feel about that type of advice? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um I still think I, you know, it's great to get interest. You know, if a kid likes your program, that that's good. Obviously, we're we're very fortunate in North Dakota that there's going to be a lot of kids that have interest. You know, I always still say, Jason, you kind of you build your name and your reputation on what you do every day. You know, like we kind of sometimes as a kid, you don't maybe understand that that much, but so much of, of what I want to do and find out about a kid is when I'm talking to their coaches, I'm talking to their trainers when I go and watch practice trying to talk to people at the school, what kind of kid they are. You know, I really think like 
you know, he might write me a really nice letter, but if I go and, and talk to the, uh, you know, the school principal and they say, oh, you know, Jason Padola is not a very good kid, you know, <laughs> he's probably not coming to North Dakota, you know. So I really like to talk to kids about, you know, what you do every day is what builds your brand and your name. And uh, if you're doing the right things and you're, uh, your coach relies on you and your teachers say, yeah, the kid's always here and he's a good worker and a good kid in class. And the more people you talk to and you just keep hearing that same thing about, yeah, kid's driven. He's focused, he's a worker, good teammate, he's kind of team first. You know, that's the, to me, that's stuff that really kind of resonates. So, you know, I think some people think they can kind of <laughs> fool you or whatever, but I think in the end, what you do, what you bring every day is uh, your reputation and uh, how you kind of, how, how you kind of build your brand. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Uh, I guess my question was more or less assuming that maybe there's, there's a kid out there that's maybe doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. And maybe not getting noticed and maybe he is putting in that work every day. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes sometimes that phone call or maybe that letter, you know, just just to let a person know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. You know, and I do have I do have what it takes and I'm going to make your team better. Uh, it doesn't hurt, I guess, is all I'm saying. Yeah. I think even in this day and age, like a kid that's willing to be on the phone with you is probably a little bit of a I don't know. Yeah. He's got a little bit different moxie to him. Right. To even be able to handle that phone call. I think that says something about a guy. Yeah, no question. That, that's a. Uh... Yeah, I didn't mean to dismiss that. And you're, you're absolutely right. Because like, you know, nowadays I can go on Instat and just, you know, you know, any punch in a kid's name and I can watch, you know, 10 games of them right away, you know? So, uh, you know, sometimes just, you know, sometimes there's good kids out there. There's only kind of three of us, like the Western hockey league. I'm sure they have, you know, 10, 10 scouts or something that are out there and some player personnel guys and general managers, you know, we, uh, the NCAA rules just allow like our head coach and our, uh, our two assistants to be out watching kids. So we rely a lot on uh, kind of a network of alumni of NHL scouts of coaches, uh, things like that. And then obviously now a lot on video to try to, uh, you know, find these kids. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Sometimes if I just get that, I get a nice, uh, nice email or a nice letter or whatever, or a nice call, I'll uh, for sure take the time to, uh, you know, watch a couple games and uh, you see what you see. Cool. Yeah, D Dan Wildfong, head coach uh, down there in the NAHL, has had a lot of success and had a lot of success in placing athletes in, in the D1 program too. Uh, we, we had an interesting talk about the recruitment process and about advisors, and, and he thought that there, may, you know, there's always a, a place, let's say, for them, but but he thinks the biggest advocate has to be the coach. And, and, I, and that's, we, we kind of agreed on that scenario. You know, you want your coach where you're at, who sees you every day, who sees yeah. what the player you are to go to bat for you, you know, and, or, you know, I shouldn't say go to bat for you, but you I mean, he should be the one making the call too on your behalf or at least answering the phone call when somebody calls. Yeah. And though, you know, we, we talked to Dan, you know, he does a good job. He does a really good job. Like the, he's a long way from us and we don't get down a lot to see the North American league down there in Texas. But, uh, I'll tell you what, he's, uh, he's been around a long time, always has good teams. And when he, uh, when you call in and just check in and he starts, uh, rifling off a name or two on his team, or sometimes he'll be talking about, it's gotta be played, you know, so-and-so. And this kid always is, uh, plays hard and competes and, uh, it's hard to play against, you know, it really gets your attention. So no question. I think, uh, you build trust with your coaches and, uh, that's going to go a long way. That's awesome, though. Even that integrity for Dan to be like that, because it is a trust thing, you know. And it's one thing that I do preach around around here with the players that I work with and that want to move on. It's like you know, you have to be trusted, right? And yeah. even in that scenario, like for Dan, if if he's just completely blowing smoke all the time or just pumping, 
you know, maybe his own guy's tires and that doesn't maybe work, right? You lose a little yeah. bit of authenticity and integrity with that. But the fact that he's just telling you what he thinks is is the real deal says something about Dan and the program he's running there. I think he's a straightforward kind of guy and what you see is what you get with him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's been outstanding and he's definitely, you know, you know, you've always, you always check into guys, but uh, when certain guys call or, uh, or, you're, or say something, there's some guys that you really uh, probably take a longer listen to for sure than others. When uh, so you you end up making the jump, you end up getting drafted third round. Uh, feeling must be feeling pretty good about yourself, and and you roll into University of North Dakota as a freshman. And as usually is the case with freshmen, there's a pretty big learning curve there. You I mean life is new and different. You had the experience of being on your own in Vernon, so it wasn't that wasn't completely new. But a campus at North Dakota is a little different than uh, than playing hockey in Vernon. So how, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, I remember uh, my mom and dad, they drove me out. I didn't have a car for the first two years. So, um, yeah, they, they kind of dropped me off in front of Walsh Hall, and, and they said, all right, I kind of took my gear out and my luggage, <laughs> a few bags, and they said, all right, see you later. You know, my mom was crying, and my dad just said, all right, you're on your own now. You, you got to go, and they drove away. And I remember just kind of walking in there going, holy crap, this is this is scary all of a sudden. I was super excited. This is scary. And you go for that first few minutes, you kind of walk up there, and you're standing in line, and, uh, just as I was checking in, um, okay. Dixon Ford uh, was uh, was checking in as well, and he kind of go, he kind of, I just you know knew his name from the list of other freshmen that were coming in, and I uh, kind of introduced myself, and he helped kind of show me uh, where we were going. Brad Pascal was my roommate in, uh, in my first year in college, and we were buddies, and then all the other guys meet guys in the team, so it really got uh, kind of a little bit easier there. Uh, after those first few minutes of uh, kind of terror, going, what am I got myself into? Right. Yeah, I was just looking back like you, you don't there's just so much that like we talked about a lot about kids too about like one thing is if you're physically ready, you know, another thing is if your game is uh, ready enough, but there's so much too about uh, just kind of your maturity as a, as a person. I was just kind of a, you know, a young guy from a small town. I kind of probably could use another year of junior just to figure things out just to kind of as far as, you know, having the presence and the time management and the understanding of how the world works. I had a lot to learn. So you know, I had a lot of tough times. I remember uh, calling home and having tough uh, conversations with my uh, mom and dad. Well, you know, if I'd only played one game out of two and they're like, you know, my dad would be like, what do you mean you only played one game? You know, and I was like, well, guys are super good here, dad. They're they're big and really good and older. And I'm, I'm working and I'm trying my hardest to get in this lineup and end up kind of battling my way in. Uh, the second half became a regular player, but it's a, it was a hard jump. A lot for me was just for the everything new, you know, everything, uh, living on, living on your own and living like you, you did mention, I lived in the billets and that was a good intermediate step, but there was still just, just lots to figure out about how to, you know, do everything, how to get around, how to manage your relationships with people and how to, you know, you know, build trust. Like I, I, I see now some of the guys that come in here and, uh, just, they just so, some of these young guys, they're so professional right away. You know, they're, they're going to bed at 10 o'clock at night and they're uh, at the rink at seven early and they're stretching out and they're doing all this stuff, getting ready for practice. And I was like, God, I didn't learn that stuff till, uh, you know, till much later in my career about how much that, how important that was to, you know, all the little details of, you know, being a good pro and what it takes to kind of prepare yourself. And, uh, you know, Johnny Taves was, uh, was playing here my first year at North Dakota. And I think I learned a few things from Johnny about, his approach and his professionalism and just kind of his mental toughness about how he handled things. So when you got young guys there teaching you things yourself. It's uh, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, no, for sure. When when you go back to that first year, and and you I mean you didn't, it looks like you didn't experience it at least from a stat line in Vernon. You know, any, anytime you make a a step up, right, the uh, you level up, there's an adjustment period. I mean, guys are either older or bigger or stronger or better or whatever the case may be, yeah. and you kind of need to figure it out. And sometimes the sooner you, well, sometimes you have to figure it out real quick, right, or else you're yeah. not going. That's usually the way the NHL works. But uh, if, if that was your first kind of hint of adversity or like real adversity, what was what was the hardest time adjusting? Was it trying to get in the lineup or was it life outside of the rink? Yeah, I think um, I think just kind of having a realization about how many really good players there are. You know, like, you know, when you went to Vernon, you realize, OK, there's good players, but we had a, we had a really good team and I got to play with really good guys. So we were winning a lot of games. So wasn't wasn't too bad even at the start I was uh you know battled a little bit but it wasn't, didn't go too bad there but like when I first went to North Dakota I just kind of I go wow there's like a you know you might might think for a little bit like I, I like to believe I'm a fairly humble guy but you know you get drafted and you still think okay I should be a pretty good player and you're and you're just going against all these other guys like we had you know even my freshman class there are guys that were just really really good players that were first and second round picks and, and you're going, wow, I just got, I got a battle just for my ice and my own, uh, my own class right here. So yeah, I think that, that was kind of the, just kind of getting your mind around. And, and I, I think it all goes back to just work, you know, workload, in my opinion, you know, you just, you just say, if you're not quite, you're not quite good enough or you're not quite strong enough or you're not quite fast enough or, you know, you, you can't handle hard passes on your backhand, you better work at it. You know, you better dig in you better, get a coach to hammer pucks at you in your backhand so you can handle them every time. Cause otherwise, you know, you're screwing up in practice and coach is putting you to a lower line the next day. So you, you know, and you just kind of learn that, Hey, there's no, like, no need to panic. Right. But you just you go to work. And that's the biggest thing I've always found in life is if you put in extra time and uh, prepare, you know, people around you will kind of see that you'll, you'll get better for one, but for two, they'll also kind of see that you care enough to kind of do that extra and that you're, you're driven enough that uh, you'll do what it takes to, you know, make a difference. Yeah. And there's that, uh, I've studied quite a bit in the brain, is that the reticular activating system, the RAS system. And that's the, that's the one where like, you know, you're going to go buy, a, maybe you're thinking about buying a new truck. And then yeah. all of a sudden now you're driving down the street and you see that truck all over the place because like yeah. your brain's actually like noticing it and it's tuning into yeah. that. Same yeah. thing works. I, I think the same thing works with coaches, right? You say, you see, you watch that guy trying to pick up the pass yeah. again and again and again and again, and he's working on it. In the game, you see the time when he actually connects with that pass, and you're like, "Yes, it's working for him." Yeah. You know, like it, yeah. it, it actually it helps the perception too, and and people see you a little differently, and they see things differently because of the work you're putting in, and it does nothing yeah. but help you. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, two, two I also on that point, Jason. I also kind of think I talk about that a lot with our guys about like uh, you know, there's two things you get you get physically better at handling hard passes than your backhand. The second thing is, is you you feel good about your preparation, you know, if you had a great week of preparation and great practices, you know, and now you're coming down and, and you get a rocket pass on a two one one long pass, you know, you kind of feel like I think you just feel mentally better about yourself that you've, you've kind of done the work versus, you know, walking into a test where you haven't gotten all your classes or do all your reading. And you kind of feel, oh, I'm not really prepared for this thing. And so mentally you're not really feeling very strong. So big believer in that preparedness thing and something we talk a lot about with our young guys. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, which which leads to confidence. That's another thing with the leveling up thing that we that I've talked about too with a lot of my guys is that when you do level up, like a lot of times we associate confidence with 
success or, resu or results. That's the most yeah. natural thing to associate it to. But what happens when you're in a new environment and you're not even playing, right? You haven't yeah. scored the goal yet. You haven't got on the first line. You don't have any results. So like the confidence then comes from the things you're talking about, the work you're putting in, the preparation you're putting in, right? The belief yeah. in yourself that you've done what it takes to be in that position and to earn that position. So uh, yeah, it, it's nice to be 44 and be able to talk about this stuff. Uh, as I know, uh, you 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 sound like you're from the same bread or maybe you got a little bit quicker than me but boy i wish i understood some of this stuff a little bit earlier in my career kind of right the value of that preparation yeah yeah that i know you had scotty nickel my buddy scotty nickel on and he's a you know development guy well he started with as development with nashville and i just i just think i know we've had some guys and i i, I i've sat in on some of the discussions when scotty's talking to to guys just to hear you know his approach and his messages and it's, I think it's such a good thing these NHL teams uh, are doing to, you know, help a lot of these young guys on the, the stuff away from the game about their, you know, professionalism and preparation and not really so much about the technical skill, but just about, you know, how to be a good pro and how to manage things. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great adaptation the National League teams have done to kind of, instead of just drafting a kid and, and kind of hope he gets better, you know, really putting a lot of time in the development and helping him with a lot of that off-ice stuff, the time management and everything else. Yeah, for sure. When you when you had your when you were a freshman there, was it a was it a coach? Do you remember any specific moment or or any maybe moment even to breaking? You know, like it's amazing how many guys I talk on here that, you know, Jared Smithson comes to mind from recency bias where where he, you know, he had a couple moments where it was like in junior even where it was like this close to just packing it in, you know, yeah. and, and then ends up, you know, persevering getting through it somehow. And every time he made that choice to get through it, he got a little bit stronger and ends up having a 700 game NHL yeah. career at the end of it. You know, was there, was that kind of a, a crystallized moment for you that freshman year where, where you got through yeah. it made you better? Yeah. And I specifically remember, like I always try to think about this now as a coach, because I remember um, our, one of our assistant coaches, Kerry Eads kind of grabbing me just before I went home at Christmas. He goes, Hey, you've, uh, you're starting to build some trust with our head coach, Gino Gasparini, you know, like you're starting to do the right things and you're, you're playing hard and, you know, just give me a little bit of a, some positive, uh, you know, reaffirmation basically. And it really kind of made me, gave me a lot of confidence, you know? So again, you, you, you got, guys got to earn it. You can't just go and tell guys they're doing great when they're not. But when you, when you kind of feel like uh, people are watching and seeing what you're doing and the work you're putting in that, that for me was a, was kind of a big step when you kind of earn your earn your stripes a little bit and coaches are kind of telling you, hey, they kind of the head coach can trust you now. So, you, you know, you got to get a chance to kind of take a step forward here. I think that's a, an interesting maybe word to unpack there and, and maybe how you perceive that as a player and maybe how you would uh, describe that now as a coach. But like for the players out there listening, when, when a coach says he's you've you've developed the trust or you've you've earned his trust or gained his trust, like what what does that mean to a player? How would a player go about doing that? Yeah, I think it's two things, in my opinion, Jason. It's uh, one is on the ice. So, you know, obviously every young guy wants to score goals and get assists, right? A lot of guys measure their game on how much offensive production they have. Um, you know, I think as a coach, a lot of times you measure a player, you know, some guys are measured if they're on the power play or, or high-end offensive guys, yeah, they have to score. But I know in our staff, we are going to often put a lot of emphasis on just how a guy can manage a puck. Can a guy can a guy win battles? Can he advance a puck through the neutral zone? Can he get pucks out? Can he sustain some offensive zone time just by, you know, being strong enough or smart enough to put it to, to the proper area? So we can kind of rely on him that he's going to be a, a solid contributor to kind of play within our system. You know, can he take the instruction of our system and put it in his game? So that's kind of half of it. You know, the other part for me is, you know, I, I, I talk to our young guys just, again, 
kind of gaining uh, credibility and reliability with our staff by how you do things. You might be really good on the ice, but if, uh, you know, if we're getting calls that you're not, you're missing a lot of classes and if you're always the last guy into a meeting or if you're, you're not really prepared to practice and don't know the drills or what's going on, you know, that's another level of reliability that a coach kind of goes, eh, I'm not sure this, I don't know if I can put this guy on the ice at a critical moment because he's just, he just hasn't shown me that he's really dedicated or, or cares enough or professional enough to kind of, to, to make that important to him, you know, and I think that's a big thing that a lot of guys, uh, you know, have to learn kind of the two sides of, you know, on ice uh, kind of uh, reliability and then just being a reliable kind of sharp guy that uh, takes care of business and, you know, making sure you do the, all the things that are expected of you before you uh, are going to, you know, do your fun things. How big is it? Uh, how big is intention in your mind for these players and to let their intention be known? Meaning, uh, you know, if somebody comes, shows up at your program and, you know, maybe how he wants to contribute, how he sees himself contributing, or maybe even where he wants to end up after your program. Uh, yeah. Obviously I, I'm going to back that up by saying then being accountable to saying that, you know, like the actions that it's yeah. going to take for that to happen. But do you, do you like when players uh, kind of let you know or are confident enough to say, this is where I want to go and I'd love some help getting there. Yeah, for sure. It's a, uh, that's a great point. I think that's uh, a really big deal that you kind of have a plan, you know, uh, we had, um, I'm blanking out his first name, but he's a inspirational speaker down in the States. That's was a, I think a Navy SEAL and stuff, this, uh, uh, Gogans. And, uh, he came oh, and you had Dave Goggins in there. Dave Goggins. Yeah. He, he came and talked to our guys and he was, uh, he was impressive because he came in and guys are just kind of sitting in our room. And I believe it was the, it was the, year we won the national title. So we had a lot of good players and, uh, he picked up Paul Ledoux who was sitting right in the front and he kind of, he said, uh, and what are you thinking about right now? And he was kind of like going, ah, I didn't really have a great answer. And, you know, his whole thing is like, you wake up with a purpose to your day if you want to get ahead, you know? And I, and that, that question you asked just kind of jogged my memory back to that. Cause that was his whole thing. It's like, you don't just wake up and, you know, hope the wind's going to blow you in the right direction. And you'll do well, right. You wake up with a plan, you wake up with a purpose and uh, it's kind of day to day, but you keep stacking up those good days and, you get to where you want to go. And, uh, you know, I think of Johnny Taves, like he was the the very best of being intentional about what he was doing, you know, and, and he was the first guy I ever heard talk about say, Hey, my day, my day starts before is how early I go to bed. Cause then I can get up early. I'll be that much sharper. I'll be that much more ready. You know, and I, I never had really even thought about that much that my next day is going to depend on how early I go to bed and how good a sleep I get, you know? So yeah, yeah that's a great point. And that's a, uh, it's a, uh, I think a huge part of like, when I look back at all the guys that have come through North Dakota that, you know, some of the guys that are some of the, the very best, you know, the vast majority of them are very focused, intentional guys that just are taking data. They're, they're skilled, really good players, but they have a purpose and a, not all of them, but a lot of them, you know, they, they take their great amount of ability that they have, the God given ability and they make it, uh, because of their drive and their discipline, their focus on a day-to-day basis about how they kind of nurture that to become some of the best players in the world. Right. And I guess where, where I was going with that or leading a little bit is that inner circle. And, and maybe I'll have a little backstory with myself. Uh, back when we played and you're a little bit before my time, but I always kind of felt and maybe it was more me and my personality that it was a, an us versus them when it came to players and the coaching staff, there was yeah. a guy in the room and there's the coaches. And I think, the, the modern era now is trying to bridge that gap as close as they can, can get, you know, that it's we're, we're collectively pushing yep. the rock from the same side. Right. 
Yeah. Um, and I think because of me having that perception or whether that was real or not, I didn't generally reach out. Like I didn't have a conversation with an assistant coach saying, Hey, like, I want to get to the show. Like, you know, how yeah. do I, what do I got to do? Like work, you know, like I never, I wasn't either brave enough or I was too proud or whatever the scenario was where I never asked that. And that's one of my regrets of like not including others in my journey is, is why I, I kind of mentioned that. Like, I think that intentionality of letting it be known, like yeah. you in your position, you, I would assume you must love helping guys make their dreams come true. I mean, that's probably why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great point. And, and uh, you know, I think, uh, I think my first year of uh, coaching with Bruce Boudreaux in, in the American league in Manchester, um, our staff was kind of, we had a saying it was, it's, it's we, us and our, we always say that to our guys, you know, it's not about you guys or us, you know, it's, it's we, us and our, about how we do everything. And I know I always make, try to make a point of saying, Hey, it's not, you know, I run our penalty kill here and it's not like, Oh, we had a bad night. It's, Hey, we, I didn't prepare you guys well enough. Maybe you didn't execute well enough, but this is all in us together. And great point by you to say, you know, to ask for that help takes, takes a bit of courage. I think you referenced earlier and, and it does. And, it's a huge thing that we start talking about right in the recruiting process is, you know, one of the reasons that we think it should want to come to North Dakota is because of the development we do like the, the kind of day to day. we got a lot of, you know, a lot of time here in your day, you know, where, uh, you know, the ice is always open and, and there's, you know, there's always video to be looked at and stuff to do together. There's always extra time in the gym and everybody's kind of willing to help you. There's so much facilities and so much kind of staff to help, but uh, kids have to really kind of reach out and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's on the kid to come to you and say, Hey, I'll, you know, I'll pass your pucks all day long, but you know, you got to set up a time and say, Hey, let's do it. You know, and um, really good point by you that it's uh, such a big deal that you kind of, you know, you get a plan to it and then you, and you know, Dave Haxtrell, our, our old head coach used to always say that. And he said, once you say something and you got to do it, like if you, if you tell a coach, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to meet you at 8am to shoot pucks, you know, you better be there. Right. So it's kind of a, I think it's a good thing for, you know, when you start saying things out loud or, you know, have a meeting with your coach and say, I want to do this. Well, that's fine. But, you know, once you've kind of, once we put pen to paper and laid out a plan for you, you know, then, uh, you know, then I'm going to, I'm going to start help holding you to it. And, and you got to kind of, you got to stick with it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I agree with that because that it's amazing. Even like, I remember my, my conversation with Brad Larson, uh, assistant coach in, in Columbus. Yeah. And he said, even at that level, like when guys will come in and say, whatever they're complaining about minutes, right. Or they want more responsibility. And, and he says, you know, when guys come in, you got to have answers for them. That's, that's the new, that's the new age hockey, right? You need to, yeah. you need to have answers for players, but he's like, it's amazing when you tell them what they need to do, how many guys will stop doing it after the first week or after the yeah. second week, you know, even at that yeah. level. So like that accountability quotient, even at the pro levels may be lacking a little bit. Uh, and so it's hard, I guess is all I'm saying. It's hard. It's real and it's hard. And, and even that accountability side is, is something nice to get some support with at times. I, I think, and I don't know if you want to weigh in on this, but part of that for me, I think, was a bit of the culture just with hockey of being like we're, we're you're kind of grown up being tough or thinking you're yeah. tough, right? And like, and because yeah. you're a tough individual and you're a hockey player in quotes, maybe you don't need help or maybe you shouldn't be a guy who asks for help, whether it yeah. be on the ice with your skill development or whether it be off the ice with something that's going on, right? We just were kind of, I think it was bred into us just to deal with it. Do you see that changing in an athlete or, or do you think it's kind of still it's still there because of the way hockey is? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And I look back at myself and I know sometimes I you'd sweep things under the rug, right? Because you think, oh, I'll be, men be mentally tough and just deal with it or whatever. And uh, yeah, something that I probably could have been better. I think I got better as I got older, a little more confident, but definitely just going through school and stuff where you, you think you have to handle stuff on your own. Whereas 
uh, that, that I think guys are definitely getting, they're different than I think how we were, where they, they have a, they, they know people are there for them and uh, they u- utilize it and uh, they are kind of more intentional about it. So I think that that's, uh, <clears throat> it's been a big deal. One of the things that we do here a lot at North Dakota is, uh, you know, we used to, now we practice in the morning. We used to always practice about three in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, so we do skill sessions in the morning. And that's when I found out you, you really have a great chance to kind of build relationships with, with guys. It's because when you're investing in the game with them and you're, you know, you're out there skating with them and shooting pucks and playing games, you know, guys kind of realize that they're, it's a little bit more less about what you said about, oh, coach and player. And now it's just two guys out there just trying to get better. You know, and you're just you're fooling around a little bit and you're, you're hitting crossbars and you're betting and stuff, uh, Gatorades and stuff like that. And I think that's when you have a chance to, and you referenced it a little bit earlier, a chance to kind of shape guys. Because obviously we hope every guy that comes to North Dakota goes and plays in the NHL. You know, they all want to, and a lot of them are draft picks and they should have that goal. We also know that, you know, there's probably 15% of them are going to go on to play in the NHL. You know, so now that I'm a you know dad and a 50-year-old guy, you know, you realize how important it is for these guys to learn, you know, a little bit of discipline, you know, some focus, some uh, hard work, all those type of things. And that's what's really going to lead them to, you know, live full lives by whether it's being a, a teacher or a business owner or whatever it is. It's the kind of those values that we're learning through hockey. You know, we all think we're playing all this time to, to get to the NHL, and that's great, but so few guys really do. But you realize one of the real gifts of the game is, uh, you know, the relationships you have, but also the stuff that you learn and how you get mentally tough and how you get a little more disciplined and how you get a little more, you know, uh, humble and team first because uh, you realize how hard it is and uh, it helps with the rest of life. Yeah, I mean, that accountability outside of yourself is, I think, one of the greatest blessings of of any team sport and obviously I'm closest to hockey and you are too. And I think hockey is a real, is a real family type environment, you know, uh, that, that is, there's something real special about it. And and you're right because not everybody can have it as a career. And you and I were lucky to be able to call it a career for a while and to get paid to do it. But a lot of these guys that do leave the sport at some point, they're starting. I know a lot of employers locally and elsewhere that actually want guys that have played because yeah. it's hard to teach the things that hockey teaches, you know, outside yeah. of the skill set of it, obviously. So while you're going through it, you don't really get it. You don't really know what you're picking up. But there is so many uh, virtues from from being a part of something greater than yourself, you know, and, and, and the success of hockey is not a it's not a strong link sport. You know, some of them are, it's more of a weak link sport, right? Like you can't have the best player in NCAA and it doesn't mean you're going to win a title. It doesn't work yeah. that way, right? Like you yeah. have to have it strong top to bottom. And uh, and because of that, it really teaches that selflessness and that togetherness. And I love, I absolutely love that about hockey. Yeah, uh, for sure. With, with your program there, and well, actually, let's go with you, you back to, to you and, and you graduating there. So you, you move on. Did you end up wearing uh, a C for, for UND? When you, well, while you were I, yeah, I was an assistant captain, and that was it. Yeah, we had, uh, I think Dave Haxtell was our, uh, was our captain at the time, and uh, was a really good two-year captain here. Right. Okay. So you, but you did wear a letter by the time you left because I, I read in your bio there at UND that you ended up wearing, uh, I said you captained five teams. Uh is that is that with an A or is that with a C or is that combined? Yeah, that was in the uh, yeah in the American League. I did. I guess I was uh, lucky enough to be captain in uh, Syracuse and Rochester and uh, Lowell and uh, Manchester. <laughs> I think those are all those places in the American League. So yeah, wow. uh, Syracuse. That was I see that right. That was your first season there. That was yeah. Uh, Hamilton. Well, Hamilton moved, I guess, and then or they went, and then that that franchise went to Syracuse. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty young guy. I guess I was about 24, 25 then. And, uh, we, we kind of, we had a couple of years, uh, there and I was in the third year of my contract with, with, uh, with Vancouver and uh, yeah, Jack Mack, uh, who didn't like me very much at the start because he, he called me a college puke because <laughs> I don't think he was a big fan of college guys, but uh, I kind of, uh, whatever, just went and worked and, and battled a little bit, a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, by my third year, he made me a captain. So that was, uh, that was, that was a pretty big honor coming from Jack because he was, uh, you know, we we're so, so sad to see him go, but he was a, he was a good man. He was, uh, he taught in his own way, sometimes kind of gruff, uh, but um, once he kind of, knew that you were a, a battler and played hard for the team. He had a lot of respect for you and he, uh, he taught me a lot. Just want to take a short break from the conversation with Dane Jackson to thank you for choosing to spend your time with me and my guests. Uh, I know this is continuing to grow. You guys are sharing and, and talking about it. And, and I continue to get great feedback from those of you who are finding value in the show. So thanks for choosing to subscribe and choosing to download and, and listen and spend time with us here. Uh, and if you want to know more, if you're a player or a parent about how I can support you in your journey to wherever it is you want to go, uh, you can visit upmyhockey.com. That's where you can find my programs. I've developed a program, an Up My Mindset program called my Mindset Master Series that, that walks players through the 10 beliefs I believe are essential for uh, hockey players to be their best. I also have a championship character course. Uh, I believe there's no time like yesterday uh, to be working on our character, whether we're young, old, or uh, or just starting out, that this is a conversation that we should all be having with our with our players. And uh, the course is an awesome way to open up that conversation. There's also, that's where you also get merchandise too. A lot of you guys have been asking where I get my t-shirts from and, and where you can get them. So merchandise is available at myhockey.com as well. So go check us out there. And uh, without further ado, I will bring us back to our interview with Dane Jackson. How do you think, what do you think endeared him to you and, and how, you know, how did you get that letter and what did that letter, what did that mean to you? Yeah, I think, you know, I, you know, obviously you, you're learning what's important to every coach, right? Every coach is a little bit different and that's fine. And uh, I think Jack really appreciated team first guys and he appreciated kind of grit and toughness, you know? So I realized that uh, I think, you know, uh, right or wrong, Back in those days, back in uh, 1992, you know, Jack kind of uh, equated guys that were, were college guys as, as soft guys, you know, not really physically tough or, I don't know, maybe not mentally tough, I'm not sure. But uh, I think I just had to kind of, you know, played hard and fought sometimes and, and mainly I think just just showed up and competed in a lot of those days when you're playing threes and th three and threes and it's hard. And and uh, I think he just respected uh, the fact that I was, you know, super competitive and was always worried about the team. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really, I meant a lot to kind of go from a guy that he was scratching early on because he thought you were, you were too soft to, uh, kind of earning your way to, you know, when he gives you, gives you the C that was, that was, that was cool. No, that is cool. And I, and I can, I mean, everything I've heard about you, Dane, is that you are a humble guy and you're a grateful guy. And I think that's part of what it means to be a good leader too. So me putting you on the spot there with that question, you were, you're kind of dancing around it a little bit and I was going to maybe call you out on it, but you, you mentioned that one word. I think you finally gave yourself like some real credit and used an adjective calling yourself competitive. I, I think that word in and of itself is a, is a deal maker or breaker for athletes. Um, yeah. 
And I think if, if we can, you know, bring that competitiveness out in us the best we can, whatever it has that we, we have inside of us, it, it does nothing but help us in this game. Can you, can you maybe expand on how you feel like competitiveness help you or, or how you probably are endeared to guys that are competitive too, and maybe what, what that word means to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question because I don't think any athlete says they're not competitive. You know, I, I used to go into coaches' offices and ask about guys go, you know, is he competitive? And, you know, every every coach would say, yeah, he's competitive. But, th- but then I started asking it differently. You know, I said, okay, if you have 20 guys in your team um, and number one is the most competitive and 20 is your least competitive guy, you know, where does he rank on the, on the, on, on the, on the ranking there? You know, and then all of a sudden you say, well, yeah, he's, you know, he's on the just above top half competitive. Or you say, yeah, this guy, I'll tell you, he's our number one competitive guy. You know, so yeah, it's a. Uh, I know as a as a young person, I think <laughs> I even try to help my own kiddo right now with it a little bit. Is sometimes as a youngster, when you're competitive, it's almost can be construed as not that great at times because maybe you're not a very good friend sometimes <laughs> or take things too far against your uh, your brothers or whatever it may be. But um, yeah, I think there's definitely a chip that. If you have a hyper competitiveness and then, and you learn to kind of channel it, that's the biggest thing, right? It's kind of, you know, controlling your emotion some, but, um, and you want to win so bad, but you're figuring out, you know, okay, obviously to, to win a cup in the, in the playoffs, that's the most competitive thing for a hockey player, right? Try to win the, the Stanley cup. But obviously you, you're, as I try to teach my kids and different things along the way, it's, Hey, when you're, when you're playing, uh, volleyball in the backyard with your with your buddies and your family or something like that it might not be the worst thing to let them have a point or whatever if you thought it was out or something so something that I had to learn along the way so yeah competitiveness is, is great and super important in, in in pro sports but I think it's also important for us to kind of learn how to manage that so you uh you know, maintain relationships and some of that other stuff too Sure. Yeah. From the people side. And even it can, it can sometimes be construed as selfishness in the younger age group, I think, because, you know, you start showing more emotions. Competitive guys are usually quite emotional. Uh, yeah. It comes out that way. So being able to channel it, I think, is important uh, as well. But I, it is one of those things that I even see now that I don't think I, I shouldn't say it's leaving. I, I don't know how to how to channel that, but it, the game just looks different to watch, you know, like yeah. the the loose puck battles sometimes, you know, the half wall battles, the net front battles aren't quite what they used to be. And I think there's a real opportunity for today's player in today's game to ratchet that up a little bit and to really like stand out from the crowd by showing that little extra grit. Yeah. And it kind of brings me back into think, Jason, of uh, one of my favorite coaches I had was uh, John Tortorella. And I saw him talk and I think it was probably a year or two ago. And he was saying, uh, he was ticked off because he goes, I'm, I'm sick of guys like talking on the face-offs or patting each other on the butt all the time or in warm-ups kind of goofing around or whatever. <laughs> he goes, he goes, where's the hate gone, <laughs> you know? And uh, whatever, I'm not, that's not a great message maybe for kids in minor hockey or whatever, but in uh, pro hockey, it made me, it made me laugh because that Torts was referencing that, you know, the, that kind of uh, hyper-competitiveness that uh, kind of pulls you across. And I think that was one of, one of Torts's uh, greatest attributes, uh, you know, I got to play for him in, in Rochester in 95, 96, when we won the Calder Cup there. Uh, Barry Trotz was coaching uh, in Portland, so two pretty darn good coaches that were coming up. But um, I think that's one of the biggest things that Torts instilled in us was just that, you know, you're always competing for each other. You know, you're not competing for yourself. You're competing for your for your team and your and your group there. And uh, I think that's a, it's a huge thing that if a coach kind of puts that, 
belief and trust in you and, and he, and he kind of owns it and lives it himself. Uh, team kind of falls in line. What does winning do for a, for a group collectively, whether it's at the NCAA level or, you know, the, the AHL level, I mean, NHL level, it's obvious, but th those other leagues where guys are usually trying to get somewhere else, like what, what can that do for a group? Yeah. I just think it, it gives you confidence uh, as a person, right. To, to be part of a group like that. And I think, uh, also, it just, you know, people that are running teams, you know, they're good hockey people. They're, they're there for a reason, you know. Uh, they're general managers or, or head coaches uh, for a reason. And I think guys that are leaders of, of teams in those positions, they value uh, great guys. You know, they, they know what makes great teams. Like everybody that's won or even if you haven't won, but you've been on a really good team, you, you realize the qualities that are in there. And so much of that is the selflessness and just accepting your role even when you want to do more and just – you know, those competitiveness traits and just kind of the having just a lot of good guys that care so much about the group. And I think when, uh, you know, when you, when you win, I think everybody else says, Oh, those guys, they must have lots of great guys in their team. So now the next general manager or coach says, Oh, I'd like to have that guy on his team. Like, that guy won a Calder cup. Or obviously, you know, I think uh, one of the guys that I looked up to so much when I was coming up, um, we have a son on our team now, Jackson Keen, but Mike Keen, you know, I always used to think, Oh, why does he always get traded for at the deadline? Why are teams like he's not the biggest stat guy or the biggest body guy, but um, you know, he must be just an unbelievable person in the room and, and uh, with his competitiveness to, to win that much and everybody it just winning kind of builds and breeds confidence and more winning. It seems like. So uh, I just think that that attribute when you're, when you're part of a great group, you learn yourself about you kind of looking around at other guys and seeing that other guys are really good players, you know, like, I'll reference, uh, you know, a guy from my hometown there that we refer we talked about before the show, Steve Junker. You know, we were at this Calder Cup uh, run, and uh, Steve Junker came to our team a little bit late in the season, and he and he played really well. He's just a really good, solid two-way player. And then we got down into the playoffs, and he only dressed ten forwards back then, and he was a healthy scratch. But you know, it's a long stretch of uh, kind of sitting around until we won that thing on on June thirteenth. But Steve Junker was, you know, always super sharp in practice, always on the bike, getting ready, always kind of positive influence around the room. So instead of a guy being kind of negative and sitting around, his only role at that time was to push from the bottom up in practice and, and how he trained and how fit he was in his attitude. And, um, you know, Junks didn't get to play much in the playoffs very much. But when he was in, he went in and did a great job because he was ready and, and knew what was going on and he was fit. And uh, I just think that's a great form of leadership It's just – you know, whatever role you're given, you know, you don't, you don't bitch about it and you just, you dig in and, and you do what you can. And, and uh, I'll never forget that about, you know, one, one among other guys that had a hard role and not a very fun role, but did it unbelievably and, you know, still helped to drive our team. I mean, that, the fact that you even mentioned that is so relevant, right? Like how many years ago is that? You know, yeah, that was 1996. Right. So here we are. 25 years ago, right? 20, whatever it is, 24 years ago. And you're remembering yeah. a guy that wasn't in the lineup and how he was acting and what he was doing at the time and how it made a difference for your team. Like yeah. that's the dots that players need to connect sooner than later, right? Because yeah. it's so special, right? And it, and it does make a difference. And, and your actions leave clues too. I mean, if it is an individual-based scenario, right? How, how can I move forward? And if that's what you're trying to do, like, sure, grab onto it, right? That's, there's nothing yeah. wrong with doing that. But you're also becoming an example for somebody else, 
right? You're also leaving messages for someone else. And, uh, and for you to have that memory, like, oh, I just, uh, that makes me smile because I think that's, that's the part of it. I mean, that's just such a big part of it is that it takes, and that's why we said earlier about what's so great about hockey is that here's somebody yeah. in the lineup that was a part of it, in your opinion, and it made everyone else better and somebody that you remember. And Junks is a heck of a guy and went on for a great career himself too. And the other thing about winning is people watch you longer and they want you on your team, right? You're, yeah. you, uh, people want winners. You can never get enough of those guys. Yeah. When, when, oh, sorry, you want to say something? I was going to just jump in a little bit about that. Like we referenced uh, Scott Nickel and Jared Smithson, and they're two of the guys that are two of my favorite teammates over my career. And both those guys played lengthy periods of time in the American League and then end up becoming both longtime NHLers, which is extremely hard to do, as you know. You know, and I think that says so much about those guys, too. And they have those qualities, right? They just they're workers and they're unreal team guys. And uh, because they just kind of battled and got above, they didn't make it because of their high end skill level. They made it because of their will and their being great teammates and their work ethic and their discipline. And uh, yeah, it's such it's so good for young kids to hear those stories about, you know, it's not just about how many points you have or and, and what role you're in. It's, you know, you can build your build your name by kind of what you do on those day-to-day basis in those small moments. And you know what? I think this is maybe a great segue because I want to play something for you. Um, I'm going to put this on. So can you see that right now? Yeah. So for those of you not watching on YouTube, which is the vast, vast majority of you, I wanted to cut here because I show a video clip from my interview with Jared Smithson to Dane Jackson. So that's what he is watching here. And the voice, it's my voice, but it's my question to Jared. And uh, you'll see why I played it. And I thought it would have an impact on Dane, as I'm sure it would have on anyone who would hear a fellow teammate or a fellow human uh, speak so in such high regard uh, for yourself personally. So check this out. Which is like, of your games played, give me the player that had the most impact on you um, in your in your locker room, whether that be from a skill level or from a human level or a leadership level. And then who was the most impressive player that you played against? Well, yeah, tough question there. Um, I think for, for the player that kind of taught me the most, and a lot of guys would probably think NHL, but it wasn't. It was uh, my first few years in Manchester. We had a captain, uh, and you probably know him well, uh, Dane Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. Dane Jackson was uh, was my captain down there, and and that was my first taste of this is a true professional, right? He was winding down his career. He had every reason to to not empty the tank every night and to kind of show up late or not late, but you know what I'm saying? Not bring that passion, that energy. And, but he didn't, he, he was there for the young guys. He still battled. He still fought. He still played the game the right way. And, and when I got to play with him and see how he kind of conducted himself, that to me was a, was a game changer. That's just someone that I really wanted to, to in a way model myself after how he, how he played the game and he played along, uh, had a good professional career and played a bit in the NHL and um, just someone that really, um, really kind of hit home for me with him. Um, As for. uh... Wow. That's humbling. That's pretty nice. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's uh kind of almost chokes me up a little bit. (laughs) I, I thought it might, which is why I wanted to play it for you because I mean, and, and my, my reason for playing that is because like, 
you always had an impact, you know, like you talk about him doing the right things, but it takes sometimes somebody to show you the right things too. Yeah. And yeah, that's even that's no impact you're having sometimes, but then there's Jared Smithson in an interview that he might think you'll never watch. And you're, he's, you're the guy that he mentions as yeah. being a, a difference maker for him. You know, I think that's pretty special. That is. And I learned, you know, you, you referenced Jason, uh, Pretty cool about me being a, getting to be a captain when I was whatever 24, 25 in Syracuse. I went the next year to Rochester, signed as a free agent with uh, with Buffalo, and uh, you know, Torts maybe as captain there, and they had Jody Gage there. There was a longtime guy, and so that was a little bit a little bit tough at times. And, and we went through a lot of uh, kind of crap that year. You know, we at Christmas time we were one of the worst teams in the league, and we had there was a lot of. You know, Rochester had some good teams and they had veteran guys there that we had always kind of done it their way, which was a good way. Uh, they, they brought in some new guys like Dixon Ward and maybe Brian Holzinger and myself, some new kind of younger guys. And Torts is always the guy that kind of says, hey, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna do it my way. And so we had a little bit of uh, friction between kind of maybe the old guards and the new guys coming in. And um, it was a really like I, I watched, you know, Dan Frawley and some of these old guys, you know, like. Uh, Doug Huda came in later to us and was just such a, you know, came down and uh, played in the NHL for a long time before and then was just unbelievable leader and came down to help us win, you know. And you, you go through all these kind of, sometimes you think about these winning seasons and you think, oh, it's just about everything just comes together so easily. And it, and it doesn't. It's usually shaped from real adversity when, uh, you know, we had some really tough meetings at Christmas where, you know, I remember Tortorella just challenging us and saying, hey, boys, what are you going to do? And we, we kind of got together in that room and kind of hashed out and, again, put it, put our own kind of agendas behind us, whether that was the Roch guys kind of doing it their old style or the new guys thinking, Oh, we're going to come in here and, and make this organization better. And it really wasn't any, either of that. It was at the end of the day, it was saying, Hey, we're all kind of here and we all better get on board or we're not going to uh, be perceived as, as very good teammates and leaders. And, you know, those things about how you handle those kind of hard uh, adversarial times, I think really kind of shape a person and shape a team. And, uh, yeah, there was good people, uh, you know, just help you win because there's so many, like I talk about that in recruiting now, Jason, like there's kind of two parts of recruiting for me. If you're building a team, right. We all want really skilled, uh, you know, fast, great playmaking, smart players. Right. But then you also want the guys that are just grit and glue guys that when you're, you know, in our building, if we're, we're down to nothing and we got 11,000 people in our building, it's pretty quiet and it's not a very comfortable place to be. You know, when you go into that third period and like you look in and when you you look at Troy Stetcher in the eye or look at Drake Kajul in the eye or look at TJ Oshie in the eye, like they're really good players, but they are just competitive and just dying to, to when you challenge them to just their jaws sticking out and they can't wait to just say, all right. I'll freaking show you Jackson. You're going to challenge me like that. You're going to, you're going to say that to me, <laughs> like, you know, what, you know, and they just can't wait to get out the ice and show you what they really have, you know? And, uh, that is, uh, such a cool thing about uh, hockey. I think is you have these guys that are good players, but they are just more solid people and bigger competitors than you can ever imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, you can't have enough of those guys in the room. That's for sure. And, and, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I, I wanted to talk with you about leadership and, and that comment from Jared. And just because it is a message that I have just on the platform that I have is that you don't, 
you know, one, you can make a difference. Sometimes you don't even know how much of a difference you're making. Um, yeah. you know, so how we carry ourselves is a big deal. And it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to have that letter, especially in youth hockey. I mean, kids are dying to get named the captain and who's the assistants. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same thing in your program, but there's always somebody looking up to you, regardless of where you're playing, regardless of whether yeah. you're 10, right. Or 12 or, or 16. And uh, I think that's cool. Like, and that's why I like telling those stories because people impact people and, uh, and it can be negatively or positively, right? So who you surround yourself with and who you choose to choose as role models is a big deal for athletes. And the fact that you were one uh, consistently, it sounds like throughout your career, I've never heard a guy say one bad thing about, uh, about uh, you and you in the locker room. I mean, that's a, that's an awesome message. I just think for, for kids to understand and to get. Yeah. I read a, I, I can't, I keep a, an article in my office from um, uh, Ryan Johnson, who uh, works for the Canucks now. And my first roommate, man, in pro yeah, hockey. I knew Ryan, uh, his older brother, and Greg and I were uh, roommates in college. And uh, so I knew Ryan as kind of a younger kid growing up. And uh, they all the brothers played in North Dakota. But I read this article that he wrote in the province. Well, they were doing some kind of thing where the, you know, they were kind of writing articles in the province. And it was Ryan Johnson talking about when things aren't going your way. And he said, you have two choices. And you and I have both played with these guys. When things aren't going their way or they're getting scratched or, or they're not getting to play the role that they like, you can kind of kind of mope around a little bit and kind of hope everybody's kind of looking at you and going, oh, you know, Dane Jackson's really ticked off right now or he feels he's getting cheated, you know. And you can do that. Or Ryan said you can either start grabbing guys and just helping other guys. You want the things are going, you're very crappiest for you. You, you, you make a point of – getting there earlier and helping somebody else out and just going out of your way to extend a hand to, to other people. And you kind of have two ways to kind of push your energy, right. And kind of that pouty bitchy way, or just kind of when other, other guys are seeing that, Oh, everybody knows if things aren't going great for you, if maybe you're getting a, a bit of a tough deal, you know? And, and if you, they see you just absolutely just going the other way and just saying, all right, I'm going to get there earlier. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to show more. I'm going to, I'm going to do more for my teammates and when your teammates watch, you do that. So I pull that article out uh, almost every year, you know, just privately with a guy. And I just say, you know, check this out. You know, you got two ways to go. This is a, this is a guy who played, played about 750 games in the NHL and was a high scorer here at North Dakota. Then went on and became made his career because he was a great penalty killer and role player. You know, and it's just such a such a neat message that I know he uh, he learned from his dad, Jim. That's awesome. I mean, it's so crazy how many connections we have. You know, you were you were roommates with his with his uh, past. Geez, that's a tragic story too. Poor Greg. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me to be my my first roommate ever was Ryan Johnson. So RJ and I go go a ways back, and he's doing great. You have to share that article with me after. I'd I'd love to read it. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Maybe that's a good segue into into penalty kill because I you, you mentioned RJ being a great penalty killer. We also talked about uh, Jared Smithson being a good penalty killer. Uh, both role players have played a long time in the NHL because they were really good at owning a responsibility. What do you think makes a, a good penalty killer, and how do you how do you go about identifying those guys? Yeah, I think a lot of it, in my opinion, is kind of mentality. Uh, you know, if you again, it's uh, not the most glamorous role, but if you really kind of choose to embrace it and think that it's an important part of your team, it kind of starts with that, in my opinion. Um, you know, uh, you know, you gotta have good instincts and quickness and, and good stick and all that. But to me, it's just so much kind of workload and sacrifice, you know, you gotta, you gotta put in bad spots where you're going to try to clear a puck and you're exposed and a guy can come in and hammer you, you know, you gotta just be willing to get down and big and just, you want to want to eat a puck. 
And uh, I think it's just so much about that kind of mindset and mentality to say, you know, how important is this to me and to our team to, that I'm going to do a great job at this. I'm just going to do whatever I can. If it's uh, for 24 seconds flying out up and down the ice uh, four times and blocking a shot and diving to get a puck out, you know, if that's that important to you, uh, I think it can lift the team and, and be important to everybody. But it's just, I think it's so much of just kind of how you, how you kind of uh, perceive the importance of it and how kind of how hard you're willing to play at that role. Do you believe at the college level, and, I, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with your program at all or how you guys run it there, but do you believe in, in establishing roles like that where maybe, maybe you have your, you know, your whatever, let's call it the old school top six, or you have the guys that you're yeah. power play guys, and then you have these other guys that are, like, that are committed to being penalty kill guys. Do you, do you believe in that philosophy or do you guys try and, you know, cross, cross and make it more of a hybrid system? Yeah, good question. Um, we like to kind of try to give roles to guys so that they really dig into it. You know, even though, uh, you know, TJ Oshie was an unbelievable penalty killer. So he was, he was so, you know, obviously he was a great power play guy for us too, but he was a, he was a great penalty killer. You know, so was Johnny Tate. So those are some of the best guys that we've ever had come through here, but they are great at, at kind of both sides of it. So you're obviously using those guys, but in general, I really like to try to find guys and give them chance to give them opportunities to kind of, uh, you know, develop that role and develop that part to their game for sure. So it's kind of the idea that, uh, you know, if we're maybe down in the game, we're killing a penalty off in the, in the third period, you know, you might try to put out some more offensive guys that still have a mindset for it. But in general, yeah, we're trying to uh, build roles for guys and make them feel real passionate about it and, and really kind of dig into the details of the, of that role. And, uh, you know, find the smaller meetings you have with guys or when you kind of you get more give and take and, and you're talking with guys versus me just preaching. You know, it's, it's us together doing this and you get a lot of buy in, I think, when you have small groups and you got a you got a you have a penalty kill meeting with, uh, you know, five or six forwards only. And we're going to talk details with those guys and tell them how important they are and how we need to, this job done to, to win this upcoming game. Yeah, I think I, I like that you touched on that there because I think that uh, that ability to own something as a player, a lot of times we don't get an opportunity to really take take yeah. something with both hands and say, this is mine. This is what I want to do really well. And I think when a coach asks that of you and, and requests it and tells you how important it is, it it, it, uh, it facilitates buy-in. And I think a different level of accountability to that spot. So uh, I'm sure your guys love it there when they when they get the opportunity to, to be told that they're going out. When uh, – Back to your career and just being, you know, I saw your stats and you played, you know, I will call it a handful of games. I'm sure you wish you would have played more, but I'm sure you're proud of every one of them you got at the NHL level. What was it like for you trying to break into that league? And uh, was there, you know, was there anything you would redo again to try and to try and establish yourself uh, longer term? Um, yeah, good question. I think, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, just a borderline player. You know, you have to obviously, you know, you got to be so good at a certain role. I think I was a pretty good player, different, different things. I wasn't great at anything, but, uh, you work hard. I think, uh, I think one of the things that I really respected early on when I got called up and then Pat Quinn was our coach is he would, uh, I was starting the fourth line, but if I was playing really well and other guys weren't, he would elevate me and he'd, he'd let me, I'd play a shift with Trevor Linden or playing a higher role for a shift here and there. So I, I really kind of appreciated that, Pat would, would see if you were bringing value or if you were really going that night. And, uh, and, you know, I'm sure it's also to send messages to other guys that weren't playing very well, but I really kind of appreciated and respected that, that he would, uh, you know, he was a smart hockey guy and he got to identify that and he just went roll lines. He'd be like, okay, if this guy's going and another guy in the higher line wasn't, 
um, you, you would get more opportunity to get to play more. And I really kind of appreciated and, uh, you know, thought a lot of, of that, like, Hey, he's really watching everything I do on, on every little, how I'm practicing and how I'm, uh, how my first shifts are. And right. it really kind of, you know, tuned me in and kind of go, well, Hey, if I'm really going, I'll get to play more. If I'm not, I'll play less, you know, and I really kind of, uh, kind of appreciated that side of things. Um, as far as what you could do better, I don't know. You always kind of wonder that a bit. I know I did get to a point where when you first get called up, you're so nervous and you just kind of, you know, worried about every play where after a little while, you kind of get a confidence. You go, Hey, I am what I am. I'm going to, I'm just going to go and try to be the best version of myself and then play my, my game to a great degree. And if, uh, you know, guys come back from injury or whatever it may be, they trade for somebody and I got to go down and you kind of, you kind of get at peace with that. You know, at least I started to really just enjoy, Hey, I'm going to go up and try to just my, my litmus test was as being the best player that I can be. And if you really, you know, you can't really control other things outside of that about who's coming back from injury or if someone's maybe going to just outplay or whatever. So I kind of got at peace with that. Just kind of saying, Hey, just go up and try to try to do your job well and uh you know add value when you, what you can and that's really all you can control when you're when you're wearing a letter like that at a young age you know i i find that interesting in and of itself because there is something that's very helpful and uh supportive about what being a seat right like you are helping other guys and you're going out of your way to help other guys yet you're still in an environment yourself individually that you want to get to the nhl right yeah. so it's a little bit of an oxymoron in that sense or it's hard to, for some guys to get their head around was there ever a scenario where you knew mentally that maybe like you weren't going to be an NHLer, like that you were an, an AHL guy and you were going to commit to being that best AHL guy that you could be? Yeah, absolutely. I, I vividly know the point. <laughs> you asked me earlier about a critical incident, and I maybe didn't have a great answer for you, but I, I know this one. It was, uh, you know, I played three years with Van, played a little bit up with them, and, and scored some points when I got up and did all right, and then. Uh, that next year, I, I played a little bit with Buffalo again, well, about the last 20 games of the season and did pretty well. I think I had about a half a point a game or something. And then I came back down and we won the Calder Cup. So in my opinion, I had been a really good kind of leader and, and, and on a great team uh, in, in Rochester. And I'd done well in Buffalo that last stretch. So the next year, I, I trained so hard and was so ready and really kind of felt that would be my chance to, to go up. And uh, I played a couple exhibition games and kind of got got cut right out of there. And I just kind of, at that, that moment was really hard for me, but I remember calling, you know, calling my dad with tears in my eyes, kind of, you know, even as a 25 or 26 year old guy or whatever. And uh, I think that was kind of the point where I'm going, you know what, I think maybe, <laughs> maybe that's it. But, but again, then you, again, you have like Ryan says, you have, you have two choices, right? You can be kind of pissed off and, and be a negative uh, energy guy, or you can say, Hey, I'm going to try to, uh, you know, you don't need to think about it that way, but, I think you just got to build your career as far as, you know, that's why I think I got to be a coach, right? Because I started saying, Hey, I'm going to start, you know, really trying to help young guys. And I got to play longer because of it. I wasn't the greatest player at the end, but I think, you know, some teams knew that I was, uh, would, would help mentor guys, which I think is, is such a big thing. And there's only, you know, as far as America, if I was running a team, I'd have some really good veteran guys surrounding my uh, young Jason Padolans coming up, you know, to try to help them and show them the way, you know, and, I think it's a huge deal. So it's again, your choices about how you, how you show up every day to the rink, you know, you're going to show up really early and, and get some extra stuff and help other guys along the way, or you're going to just kind of slink through and, and uh, barely earn your paycheck. So, and again, it's everything you do every day kind of uh, leads to the, the places you get to. I think it's a different level of passion too, that you kind of see. And I think that, I mean, you, you, 
must have seen it yourself. Like so some guys like hockey a certain way, but yeah. they don't like it other ways, you know? And, yeah. and I think for me, I had to go through that on a personal level too, because, you know, as we get older, as we change as a player, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that we could do or we thought that we were, now we're not anymore, or maybe we're not in the league that we want to be. And you have to identify with what you're doing and really enjoy it still or else, it's, or else yeah. it becomes uh, drudgery and it becomes a pain in the butt and you become to be a, a somebody that shouldn't be in that environment. So uh, w- w- do you think that's just an underlying like passion you had for, for hockey uh, it just in and of itself or was yeah. it something else more about you? Yeah, I think so. I'm a really big guy of a positivity, you know, just, you know, kind of sharing good energy with people and stuff. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure there was, you know, some days there where you, you kind of question it and I kind of remember that there's that you kind of have that reckoning you said about, maybe when you're, you shouldn't be doing this anymore or whatever. And there was, there were some times where you do some soul searching over the summer and, and go, Hey, if I'm going to do this, I want to, you know, be passionate and be enjoying it not just playing just to, so I am afraid to go out and do something else, get a different job, you know? Um, But yeah, I think mainly that kind of, uh, I really do love the game. I love competing. I think the the biggest things I love is, is hanging out with the guys and competing. Those are my two favorite things, you know, about kind of the, with the game, you know? And, uh, I think someone else also too is just kind of setting the culture. Like I've talked to a fair amount of guys that have played a, a long time, maybe in the American league and uh, maybe don't, there, there's actually a fairly negative connotation about their careers or their times and stuff like that, you know? And I felt that I helped kind of drive cultures in the teams that I was in by saying, Hey, like we're here anyways, you know, like, obviously we wish we were up with the Buffalo Sabres or the Vancouver Canucks, but like, what are we going to choose to do here? And like, Hey, let's organize every Sunday night. We're having potluck at my place, you know, or we're going to one day we're going to go out for uh, lunch and some beers and shoot some pool or, you know, play shuffleboard together. You know, we're going to make it the best we can and, and enjoy those relationships with the people around you, you know? So I think that's such a, a big thing. It's like your lot in life, you still, you still shape, uh, you know, you, you shape your day to day by uh, how your attitude is going into it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, because I mean, me growing up and probably yourself too, I didn't even know that the American League existed. You know, I didn't even know what it was, right? Like I knew that there was one league to play hockey in and get paid for it, and that was the NHL, and that's where I wanted to be, right? And then you find out all these different leagues and all these different uh, uh, options to be able to play. And I think uh, while guys are in it, it, gratefulness is such a big word, and I, I know it's, it's starting to become more mainstream now, but there are definitely times when I look back that I wish I was more grateful for where I was at and that, you know, whatever capacity that was, like getting paid to play hockey is such a privilege uh, and it's not a right, you know, and uh, and just to remind yourself of that because even, you know, the dark days in Newfoundland when maybe I'm leading the league in goals and no one's calling me and I'm thinking, you know, that sucks to be me, why me? Like, man, it, you're, it's still pretty damn good, you know? And I think yeah. the more we can connect that to players, it just, again, it makes us a better person when we show up at the rink too. Yeah, great. Uh, that's a great message. And, you know, even now, sometimes, uh, you know, here, like in North Dakota, like our, our team's a big thing in our whole state, you know? And uh, when we don't, we're not we're not doing well, it, it can get pretty heavy on young guys. And you, you still got to go into that room and talk to them and just say, hey, boys, like, you know, this has not been our best season, and uh, but we're still controlling things to the end about, you know, how we're going to practice today and our attitude. And there are still, you know, a ton of kids that would love to be in our spot, even though, you know, we're we're not a top-ranked team in the country this year, but we, we still get to be here and come walk into this unbelievable rink and get to, you know, battle with a bunch of really good guys that care about each other. And, you know, there's still so, there's so much good. And, yeah, you're 
your message of gratefulness is a is a great one. When uh, when you when you start looking back at the coaches you had, and you've named you've named a few, and my God, they're all like kind of pillars in and of themselves. You know, Pat Quinn. You mentioned Bruce Boudreaux. You mentioned Tortorella. Uh, all these you know stops along the way, and now you are a coach. How how much of those experiences impacted you with with how you approach the, the players at UND? Yeah, so much, so much. Like you know, there was always uh, with Pat. There was just such an honesty, you know. Um, I don't know, I guess we got time. I'll tell you this really neat story about the Pat Quinn as we were at the, uh, after one year when I got to play in the playoffs with the Canucks, um, uh, we, we beat St. Louis in, uh, seven games in, in round one, and then we lost to Chicago in the next round, but the Griffiths family had us out to their home, a uh, beautiful home out in the water. And, uh, it was all, it was kind of old school. It was, it was staff, front office and players. Everybody was kind of having this big meal and, you know, having some, uh, some beers and just unbelievable night. And, uh, late night, I kind of went down and just took this play, this gorgeous home in. I walked kind of down to the ocean and, uh, I see there was a, there was somebody was, it was pitch black and there was somebody kind of smoking a cigar down on this, uh, beachcomber on this big log down there. And I, I, I think it was down a little ways and I was kind of sitting there and the guy goes, Hey, who's that? And I'm like, Ah, it's Jackson. It was, and it was like, ah, Jackson it was Pat. And he, he, uh, said, come on, come on down. And he, he fired up his big long stogie that he had and gave me a stogie. And he was like, you know, the, uh, I believe his general manager as well at the time. I think it was coach and general manager. And he said, you know, he just grabbed me and he kind of talked to me like his son. And he said, Jax, you know, you're a good player. He goes, I'd like to sign you as a depth guy, you know, go down and be uh, a good player in the American league for us. You said, you've shown that you can come up and, and uh, fill in and do a good job, but he's like, you know, we're super good on, on the right side. And we got a really strong team right now. He goes, um, you know, if I was your dad, I, I'd, I'd advise you to, you know, go, go, go try elsewhere. He said, I think you can play in the league if you're at your very, very best, but he goes on our team, you're behind other guys that are just not as good. And I just, just remember like what a classy, sharp, honest guy, you know, and you just kind of, you just kind of go, that is, that is, that's a man right there. Just a neat man that cares about you as a person, you know, uh, not building depth in his organization. He just kind of, you know, just doing the right thing. And I always think of, of Pat Quinn in that way. You know, I think of, I think of Tortorella about him being so kind of fiery and so pissed off at you. But he also, if he was wrong, like he, he was sometimes, would, he would just rip into us and say, Jack, you didn't have your team ready to play tonight, blah, blah, blah. And then he'd be, Call me and he's like, meet me at Starbucks at 7 a.m. We're talking about this, you know? And he'd go, you know, I looked at the video and you guys were better than I thought, kind of. And, you know, it's not just on you to have him ready, it's on me. Like he had that kind of honesty that he'd give you shit. But if he thought he was maybe wrong, he would, he would kind of take it himself, you know? So I always respect so much of that, of that, you know, where coaches can just always be right, right? They can always say whatever they want. It's just that's what's right, you know? Where Torts, I think, had that honesty where he would, he would, he would, he would be really honest and brutally frank with you and tell you when you were shitty. But um, he would also really had a, <clears throat> just a, just an honest kind of nice way about him, you know, to the point where, you know, after we won the Calder cup and we parted it up in town for a few days, he li actually lived in Buffalo. He would drive back and forth and he said, Hey, I'd like you to come by my house and uh, you know, make you a meal. And, and uh, cause he didn't have any assistant coaches. If you can believe it pulls back then 1996, we had, we had no assistant coaches. <laughs> so he would, bounce a lot of stuff off me, you know, and, and I got to be really close with him because of that. And he had me over to his house to just have a great meal and, 
and uh, drink some red wine. And he, his, his wife made us an awesome meal and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was a real kind of closeness developed about just what a good man he was. People see Torts as this kind of fiery and it can be kind of an ass in, in interviews sometimes. But when you get to know him, like there's just so much, so much humanity there. It's such a good person, you know, and, and you see him, you know, how he treats his kids and his wife and stuff like that, you know, and there's just, there's just so much kind of goodness there. And, you know, and Brucey, like Bruce uh, gave me the chance to start coaching, you know, he's, he kind of said, Hey, you're not good enough to play for me anymore, but I'd like you on my staff, you know, and there's just so much about Bruce where he's almost the exact opposite of torts, but he's still a really good coach. Cause he just makes it so fun to come to the rink every day. And he just, he just empowers guys and makes guys feel positive where if you screwed up, he wouldn't say, okay, Jackson, sit here. He'd be like, Jax, you're up. You're going next shift again. And you're kind of going, holy crap, I just let our team down with a bad turnover that cost us. And instead of him, you know, sitting you, he'd put you out on the next shift. And you just want to play so much harder for him again, you know. So all the lessons you learn from all these guys are just, you know, they're just invaluable that, you, you know, try to pass on to your players and your kids and, and your friends. Yeah, that's – uh did you ever feel like you were collecting a, a you know, a database while you were going through it? Or is it just sort of one of those things you sponge it up and then you just sort of, it becomes a little piece of you? Yeah, I wish I, I wish I would have had a diary and written more stuff down kind of, you know, I'm sure. If, I, I think I remembered a lot, you know, but I, I wish I would have probably documented more, but um, yeah, I definitely, I guess all our experiences shape us and all the people we get to get to deal with, uh, shape us and you feel just so lucky like you referenced right away jason is you know all the these the relationships you have you know i don't remember like i think i played about 800 games almost in the american league and i don't remember a lot of them you remember the playoffs and you remember your awesome teammates you know and you probably remember the parties and the fun stuff you did more than the, you know all those games along the way or the big goals you maybe scored like that's 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 my memory how i, I how i go i just you remember the awesome people, the great coaches, and uh, just the good experiences you had. Yeah, I, I echo that for sure. I'm not a, I can't remember too many of the games or too many of the goals, and but I do remember the people. I remember the fun stuff away from the rink too, and uh, you know, remember the relationships. And and this podcast has been a blessing for me with that. Just getting me back in contact with a lot of these good guys that you, you know, that you lose yeah. contact with, you know, and it gives yeah. you used to have the conversations. Uh, I would do a disservice to this if uh, if I didn't ask you. I know we talked a little bit earlier. We won't dive into it, but um, Mitchell Miller has been a co topic of conversation on a national level um, after he was drafted there by Arizona. Uh, spotlight gets turned on him, and and uh, he was a part of the UND program. Is no longer there. I just thought I would give you an opportunity, um, if you would, to just speak on him. And because one of the things I've been saying, I'll just let you know on my own platform and just from reading the news and what's happened. And I don't think we need to debate um, the severity and, and, and the lack of, you know, integrity it was of what he did when he was 14. I mean, I, I've yeah. tried to put that in a, in a different spot and just trying to see, you know, what is this guy like now? Because I think that's really important to the conversation because one in Canada, you wouldn't even know what he did when he was 14 and two people should be allowed to have some path to redemption. So, I mean, you being around him this year as a, you know, as a part of the program, what was your experience with Mitchell? Did you, did you feel he was, you know, he was, he was living up to his end of the bargain? Yeah. Um, yeah. Good question. Um, you know, obviously you're exactly right. Like, you know, Mitch had some bad mistakes in his past, but um, also what, what I saw from him when he was here was, uh, and it was a fairly short period of time, um, 
he was a, just a, just a regular guy. I think he was probably a lot like you or I growing up, uh, you know, just kind of a, he came to work and he was a good teammate and, and good kid there. Um, don't ever diminish like uh, what, what happened in the past is, is uh, not good and disappointing for sure. But, um, you know, I was part of recruiting him, you know, and looked into it. I tried to talk to a lot of, you know, people and teammates and teachers and stuff like that to try to find out, like, you know, I, I will say that I don't think it was a systemic thing that happened over a long period of time. That's not, in my opinion, that's not what happened, you know. So we kind of said, hey, uh, we wanted to give a kid a second chance and uh, give him the chance to kind of, uh, you know, redeem and do the right things. And, and he was doing that. You know, I think he'd really, since that time, in my opinion, he had, He'd lived a good life and been a solid citizen and kind of earned his, his, uh, his chance to have some success in his life. So, you know, it is a, definitely a tough situation. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope that he gets a chance to because, you know, there's guys like, you know, people that have had some mistakes along the way, whether you're uh, coaching in the NHL or whether you're the best golfer in the world. You know, you've had uh, some pretty tough things happen to some people and. I, I believe, uh, you know, you, you get a chance to try to, you know, have a positive change. It's, again, it's going to the Ryan Johnson thing and say, what do you do now, right? You, uh, you uh, feel sorry for yourself and do more negativity or do you try to kind of help other people and start influencing change in a, in a positive manner? And, uh, you know, I'm going to try to keep in touch with Mitch and uh, help him do the latter because I think he's got lots of, lots of good in him and uh, lots of good hockey, but most importantly, just, you know, kind of facing down this real hard adversity he's going through and, uh, you know, try to mentor him and help him to, you know, be a good man going forward. I think that's amazing. I was actually going to ask you that. Like if you, if you did have a message for Mitch and whether you were still talking with him, you know, if you, if you were to give him some word of advice right now that would maybe apply to others, you know, like what, what would that message be right now? Yeah. And I think it's just kind of that old thing about just keep stacking up good days, right? You do the right things and do the right things. And, you know, that's, build your brand from here you know his brand is tarnished right now right in a pretty bad way and uh who among us that uh have kids that are 14 years old go oh my god i hope uh i hope my kiddo would, would never you know we say oh it wouldn't put himself in that situation but all, a lot of us make really dumb decisions even though we're pretty good people you know and uh and i just really hope that um he can kind of try to shelf that and try to start, uh, you know, in general, people are pretty open-minded. Um, you know, he's been knocked down pretty darn hard and, uh, you know, he can't really, he can't really do much more. I don't think, you know, you apologize. I, good yeah, I, I totally appreciate you saying that. And, and just in the circuit and you, you guys are obviously in the, in the eye of the tornado there. And I'm sure that it's coming at you from all different angles, but just in like, I live in British Columbia, right? And there's people talking about it here. Yeah. And I think most people, the majority of people read the headline and it's yeah. quick to judge, you know, and it's really quick to judge because it's it's that it's that the media type of headline that I hate right now, right? That it's just that yeah. flash bait and you will read that and you have this instant reaction to it. But that's why like when I dug in and when I heard what his coach in in the NHL said, you know, when I heard what even the head coach in UND said, I was like, you know what? I think someone's got to be able to speak for this guy at least a little bit because that uh, that part of the story needs to be told. So I think it's good that, I mean, I'm thankful for you to say that. I'm sure Mitch is thankful for you just to recognize that. And, you know, I hope uh, given the fact that, you know, if he is being a good guy and if he's stacking the good days, like, like you say, that he does get an opportunity to play uh, because everyone deserves a second chance. So uh, thank you for sharing with that, Dane. Yeah. Um, I thought maybe we could finish here with uh, 
with just what do you think as far as the 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 level of where you're at now like UND you're not the head coach there you're you're the associate coach like associate head coach is yeah. that the right yeah. title right now yeah um is that something that you like do you for one day like where are your goals I guess is what I'm saying where are your dreams right now as far as uh Dane Jackson is concerned yeah good question you know there's been a lot of times where um well, I guess I'll start at, at the beginning I just absolutely love my job because it's at such a level where you get to work with really pretty high-end athletes, physically really good players, and also a lot of really sharp kids. You know, like we get to we get to be like Pat Quinn, we get to be GM and coach. You know, so uh, I know in pro hockey you, you don't get to do that. You just you just get the coach, and that's uh, that can be tough at times where we get to kind of set the culture and pick the players and coach them how we want. And if we do well, uh, good on us. And if we don't, we have no excuses. We can't point at anybody else. So that's something that I really love about this job is we get to build the whole thing. I get to go out and kind of find these athletes and go recruit them and then uh, get them here, coach them up and, uh, and and make a great team. It's such a great level because you are kind of, uh, you're shaping their lives, I think. You know, there are guys that are coming in here at 18 years old. And I know I had a hell of a lot to learn at 18. And I think, you know, your mind's, your brain still uh, develop until you're about 25, I think. So I, I think there's a huge chance to really affect kids' lives. So I really appreciate that whole part of it. Having said that, you know, there's times, it's usually when I go to the NHL draft, Jason, and uh, you see all these all these guys along the way. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, they don't say it in a bad way, but they're, oh, you're still in North Dakota and or you're not the head coach. And I'm fine with that, you know, and the fact that, hey, would I, would I like to be the head coach here someday? Absolutely, you know. Um, had chances to go other places and do other things. Um, but I just, uh, you know, it's twofold. It's uh, that I just love this place and feel we get to influence a lot of kids in a great way. And, uh, you know, the second thing is when you're, uh, when you get to have, get to be in the game and have some solid life around where you are, uh, you know, my, my wife's from North Dakota and her mom and dad live here. And, we got three kiddos that are, uh, I'm gone a lot with the recruiting and, and coaching. And uh, when you know that they can be in a great environment and have uh, grandma and grandpa helping to take them the games and stuff like that. And it makes you feel pretty good when you know that your, your kids are growing up and having an awesome experience. I love my job. I love the guys that I work with and uh, really feel proud about what we do here at the university of North Dakota. So there's a lot of things that go into it versus, you know, you know, just, Oh, could I have a, a higher stature in my title or, or pay grade maybe, but uh, yeah, there's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a big question sometimes that you look in yourself and say, what's most important. Is it most important that I maybe have a, have a head coach title or, uh, or uh, you know, versus all those other good things that go into your life decisions. Yeah. I was talking with Brad Larson about that. And I mean, he's a, you, 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 you mentioned torts in such a great light there, which I think is maybe unfamiliar for some, some listeners to hear because he's projected kind of a little bit differently. And Brad Larson, I mean, it completely echoed that. And, and he said, you know, he's there willingly and by choice right now, you know, like there is other opportunities and there has been other things. And yes, he wants to be a head coach, but he just absolutely loves where he's at. And he loves the, you know, the responsibility that Torch has given him. He, he loves yeah. the ownership that he has of certain areas. He loves being around Torch and being able to learn more. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, environment matters, I guess, in other words, you know I mean, it's not always about the title or the, or the, or the next best thing or the, or the bigger paycheck. So, I mean, like where you, like where you're at, uh, there's something to be said for that. And I, I definitely won't judge a system. I think that's an amazing scenario anyways. I mean, to be in that, to be in that, and that gratefulness word that we used before too, right. That's a pretty awesome spot to be in with a, with a pretty, uh, great responsibility of molding these young minds that are coming through, uh, UND. So uh thanks man for everything uh, i really appreciate you hanging out with here uh, we we're at the the 90 minute mark this this the magical 90 minute mark that we try and stop it at so um anything you any advice for these young guys out there anything to close with that you know you haven't really touched maybe haven't touched on already or anyone coming up like what uh how, how could it be the best player they can be yeah i think just enjoy the journey you know to me it's not about just getting to the mountaintop it's about uh you know enjoying the battle and the grind uh every day with your teammates and coaches and stuff as you're going. Cause uh, that's really what I think the good stuff's all about is the, is the struggle and emerge and, and the battle along the way and the, you know, and enjoy the little moments and, you know, Hey, it's great to play in the NHL, but I think, uh, you know, we're all going to get uh, old and have other jobs and stuff like that. And I think uh, biggest thing is enjoy the people and take them in when you're going through it. And some of the hard stuff is what uh, is making you the best. Yeah, enjoy the people. I love that aspect of it because uh, they're going to help, and there's going to be the things you remember too. So, sure. uh, take advantage of those people. Well, thanks, man. I'll uh, I'll keep you on here after after we press stop. I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing all that great stuff with with the listeners uh, about all the things you learned and all the all the people you helped and how we can all do our part to help others when uh, when either the going is good or when the going isn't good. Like sometimes that's yeah. the decision that you're Jason. Appreciate you having me on, Jason. You do a, you do a great job, and it was fun being on here. Oh, thanks for So thank you so much for sticking around till the end with Dane Jackson. I appreciate you listening, appreciate your time, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, really get a feel for the fabric of what Dane is about and what he kind of really established his entire career on, which is, you know, hard work, commitment to others, selflessness, and mentorship. You know, he... You can hear it in his voice, everything he talks about, putting, stacking one day on top of the other, you know, make you, uh, make your coach trust you, how you're going to do that. Uh, what he took away from his other coaches with integrity and respect and honesty and all these things, he's just kind of been a sponge throughout his, uh, his career, it sounds like, and has just built himself into this, you know, pillar of respect, I'll say, you know, it's, it's not every day you get people that are gonna go out of your way, out of their way, to say nice things about you or to specifically remember an impact that you had on them. And it's obvious that Dane is that type of person because uh, it's happened. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't forced these conversations and people just keep telling me what a great guy Dane Jackson is. And I think we got a feel for that here today. So Dane, if you are listening, thank you so much. I don't want to pump up your tires too much. I know you're probably turning red right now because you're such a humble guy. Uh, you walk around with so much humility, but maybe it's sometimes it's good to, to celebrate your uh, the great traits that you have and, and to acknowledge them because I know you've made a great difference for a lot of people that, that you've been able to touch um, and have had an impact on. So we thank you for that. And to all the other mentors and role models out there, uh, just remember, we are all mentors and role models. There's somebody looking up to us. I've said that time and time again. Uh, we can make a difference for people. And it is that human element uh, that really stitches the fabric of hockey together and makes it such a great game. So thanks again for sticking with me. And until next time, play hard.